when you have 15 people and the 15 within a couple of days is going to be down to close to zero, that's a pretty good job we've done. Yeah. If we can hold that down to 100,000, we all together have done a very good job. Uh, 100,000? That's different than 15. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Things change. I got the feeling that something right. They still aren't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 98, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, California, in Red Bluff and Redding, California, and KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon, on the Central Coast, on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lancaster, Pennsylvania's WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN, oh, I'm mad at Ohio today, stay tuned for that. Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids, on WPRR, in New Orleans, on WHIV. Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle, where we've got some good news for a change on KODX. Not a lot of good news, but a little. We'll take it. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. And yes, we stream coast to coast and around the globe, even during pandemics, on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us. Wow, just on the way over to the uh, studio here, it looks like uh, Maryland and Virginia have now issued stay-at-home orders and even Arizona's Republican Governor Doug Ducey has uh, finally admitted to what everyone else knows, which is that stay-at-home orders will save lives, yes, even in Arizona. Yes, stay-at-home orders work, so I'm glad to see that stay-at-home orders are transmitting across the United States. Better to have those transmitting than everything else. Exactly. Hi, Desi Doyen. Good to see you. Uh, well, yes, Trump extended federal social distancing guidelines until April 30 on Sunday, and anyone who thinks that that is going to be long enough is still, like Trump, in a bit of denial, I'm afraid. But in any event, he is uh, giving up on his ridiculous threat of lifting federal guidelines as of Easter, April 12, that he had been BSing about over the past week. And to be clear, these are simply guidelines at the federal level. He's taken no actual action to issue any sort of stay-at-home orders for the entire country as, uh, you know, our, our, our strategy to deal with the coronavirus remains a patchwork among governors and city mayors with absolutely nobody, nobody, nobody steering the ship at the federal level. 
I mean nobody. Nobody knows or is is publicly discussing how long and how potentially crushing to the economy and to all of uh, to all of us that this is going to be. And the two trillion dollar stimulus corporate giveaway bailout that was signed on Friday, even though it is the largest such bill ever adopted and amounts to a full half of the entire normal annual budget for the U.S., is still nowhere near enough to get us through where I fear that we are going. Uh, As there are a whole bunch of folks in Washington who seem to be whistling past the graveyard right about now. And yes, with that cheery note, welcome to the broadcast. Uh, also, by the way, my thanks to Nicole Sandler for guest hosting for us on Friday's broadcast. And if you missed it, you may download it for free at bradblog.com. Thanks to those of you who keep us going by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. And I will say that Nicole's show actually cheered me up a little bit over the weekend listening to her Friday show. She played a bunch of great and very funny coronavirus-related parody songs uh, for the first couple of blocks of the show uh, before getting to her interview with insurance industry whistleblower Wendell Potter. And frankly, I get, Nicole, thank you. I really appreciated the uh, the smiles and the great music over the weekend when I had time to listen to it, to be honest. Uh, and you might as well. You can grab it from bradblog.com or kpfk.org or your favorite podcast site, wherever you wherever you get your broadcasts. Um, but I do have a few items of good news uh, of my own to share with you and some, yeah, sorry, not-so-good news items um, before I hope that you might have some good news for me somehow. As promised uh, last week when we had a, a ton of folks calling in, I, I hope to open up the phones again today for you if possible. And if you've got any good news stories that you have experienced uh, on, you know, on any level, but on a personal level, under our stay-at-home orders here in California or anywhere else around the country, I would love to hear them, hear those stories in a bit. Our phone number is and will be 818-985-5735 if you want to jot it down. And uh, our uh, skeleton crew, in other words, uh, Desi Doyen, is standing by to put you in the queue for a little bit later. Uh, I had... Uh, Mentioned, for example, last week that my mom's neighborhood had decided to hold a Wednesday wave where they all came outside at 5 p.m. on Wednesdays with a glass of wine and they talked to everyone from a distance on their cul-de-sac. Well, she said, by the way, if you're wondering, that it went great and they've decided to keep doing it in her neighborhood. So if you have any similar good news for uh, for us from your own experience, if you've learned any lessons here Uh, I'd love to hear from you or otherwise, how you doing? I just want to try and stay in touch with folks through this crisis as everybody is uh, so isolated in many ways. Uh, At least we don't have to be isolated here on the airwaves. So uh, line up now, 818-985-KPFK if you like. And uh, don't worry, we will keep your call uh, six feet away from everyone else's. So don't worry. Uh, I've got a bit of important election news I also want to try to get to. uh, But just as uh, just to get us all on the same page here for a moment, some numbers, not friendly ones as of today, in case Trump's happy talk has uh, distracted you. One hundred and forty two thousand eight hundred. That is the number of confirmed cases of coronavirus in the U.S. as of this morning. Uh, according to several different uh, health data services, the numbers are a little bit different in each place. 
Um, but in any event, 142,800. Now that is 56,800 more than Friday morning. So, yes, this is moving much more quickly now, as long predicted. Uh, 2,472 is the number of deaths in the U.S. from the virus so far. That is more, that's 1,204 more than Friday morning. So, sadly, the fatality numbers have doubled since Friday. About 852,000 is the number of coronavirus tests that have been administered in the U.S. so far, according to researchers at the COVID Tracking Project. That's about 312,000 more than Friday. So that is actually some good news in that the obscene problem that we've had merely testing people is beginning to improve uh, at least a little. But it is not, as Donald Trump told governors on a call this afternoon, uh, it is not resolved, as he told them. And, of course, the governors all knew better. Dr. Anthony Fauci, the longtime top infectious disease specialist at the National Institutes of Health, now predicts between 100,000 and 200,000 deaths in the U.S. from COVID-19 before all is said and done. And, quote, millions of cases of infections. Uh, so to suggest that, uh, you know, we are still clearly very much at the beginning of this thing. Dr. Deborah Burks, the response coordinator for Trump's coronavirus task force, added a few more details and thoughts about Fauci's numbers during an interview with Savannah Guthrie on NBC on uh, yeah NBC this morning. Dr. Fauci said yesterday we could see millions of cases in this country and as many as one to 200,000 deaths. Do you agree with that analysis? Is that a worst case scenario or something that uh, we should prepare ourselves as potentially likely? So in the flu models, the worst case scenario is between 1.6 million and 2.2 million deaths. That's the projection if you do nothing. So we've never really done all of these things that we're doing. We've put them into a model. We've looked at the Italy data with their self-isolation. And that's where we come up with, if we do things together well, almost perfectly, we could get in the range of 100,000 to 200,000 fatalities. We don't even want to see wow, that. that, that I know, but you know, you kind of take my breath away with that because what I hear you saying is that's sort of the best case scenario. If everything works and people do the things you're asking them to do, maybe you can hold the deaths to one to 200,000 in this country. Well, the best case scenario would be 100% of Americans doing precisely what is required. But we're not sure, based on the data that you're sharing from around the world and seeing these pictures, that all of America is responding in a uniform way to protect one another. So we also have to factor that in. Cities that don't social distances, that don't stay at home, that believe you can have social interactions, that believe you can have gatherings of homes of 20 and, and 10 people even, that is going to spread the virus even if everyone looks well. If the metros and the rural areas don't take care now, by the time you see it, it has penetrated your community pretty significantly. And that's what we're concerned about. And that's why you have to prepare, even though you think it's not there. 
So I uh, want to make sure you heard that, uh, Desi Doyen. I, I hear her, Dr. Burks, there as saying that if we have a complete nationwide stay-at-home order, our best case uh, is 100 to 200,000 dead. That's if we do things perfectly, if she, as she said. And if we don't, as, by the way, we currently do not do things perfectly, uh, it's still a patchwork around the country, that the, if we don't, the rural areas and so forth, if they don't do stay-at-home, the number could be much higher than 100,000 to 200,000 dead. Is that what you hear as well? You heard right. That's basically what the best case scenario is right now, that if we do everything perfectly, 100,000 Americans are going to die who would not have died otherwise from this particular virus. So that's uh, one thing also to remember that these numbers are all a basically a delayed effect because these are infections that occurred two to three weeks ago. It takes two mm-hmm. to three weeks for the incubation, incubation period to uh, make you in, to, to, to blossom into symptoms and to hospitalization for people who get severe versions of it. So basically the people who have been infected over the last two to three weeks, we haven't seen that wave come up yet. And we're beginning to see it. And I think that's why we saw this uh, huge jump in numbers since Friday. Obviously, that is not the good news that I had uh, promised here, even though Trump said that he would consider that to be a very good job, that he did a very good job this weekend if only 100 to 200,000 were killed. That, after telling us that he was doing a terrific job since the beginning, he, he, uh, there's, you can't blame him for doing anything wrong. He'll take responsibility for nothing, even though just one month ago, as you heard at the top of the show, he told us there was 15 cases and uh, pretty soon that's going to be down to zero. Uh, okay, uh, so that is uh, some actual news, some actual numbers for you. But in some actual encouraging news, even if this is pretty thin at best for the moment. Uh, South Korea reported another sign that it is turning the corner in the battle against the novel coronavirus on Sunday as the number of people deemed to have fully recovered rose more than twice as fast as the number of new infections, according to Washington Post. While South Korea reported 105 new cases of coronavirus on Sunday, the number of people who had recovered Um, rose by 222, according to the Korea Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. On Saturday, the country recorded another encouraging milestone, again, South Korea, with news that the total number of people who had recovered exceeded the number of people still in quarantine for the first time. The death toll in the country increased by eight and stands at 152 as of Sunday. Of course, their response in South Korea uh, has won praise across the globe for uh, being one of the most determined efforts to test, trace and track every patient who has coronavirus, even if the uh, mass surveillance that results from that uh, has left a number of people uh, uncomfortable. But it tells us that it is possible to bend this curve and eventually beat this thing closer to home. Some also uh, still very cautious, uh, but hopefully good news for all of us, but particularly for our listeners up on Seattle's KODX. Uh, The Seattle area 
according to the New York Times, uh, home of the first uh, coronavirus case in the U.S. up in uh, Seattle and the place where the virus claimed 37 of its first 50 victims. They are now seeing evidence that strict containment strategies imposed in the earliest days of the outbreak are beginning to pay off, at least for the moment. Deaths are not rising as fast as they are in other states in uh, in Washington, or at least in Seattle. Dramatic declines in street traffic shows that uh, people are staying home. Hospitals have so far not been overwhelmed. And preliminary statistic models provided to uh, public officials in Washington state suggest that the spread of the virus has slowed in the Seattle area in recent days. While each infected person was spreading the virus to an average of 2.7 other people in early March, that number now appears to have dropped, with one projection suggesting that it was now being spread only to 1.4 people. Again, I know a very thin thread of good news there, but if it's not being spread to 2.7 but only 1.4, that is moving in the right direction. Now, to be clear, the death rate in, is, is still rising in Washington state, but not as fast as previously, and particularly in Seattle. Washington state, which enacted some of the nation's earliest and most stringent containment policies, has continued to see its death toll climb. The state uh, recorded 23 deaths on Friday. That is the most in a single day since the outbreak began. 16 were in King County. That is uh, Seattle, essentially includes Seattle. So I I don't want to overblow this, but wherever we can find a sign of something getting better, I think that would be good to know right now, at least by way of return on on our investment here of living through these various forms of stay-at-home orders now in many places across the country. The progress is precarious, and the data... According to the Times, which was still being analyzed and has yet to be published, is still uncertain. Officials said that expansive social distancing policies will remain a key part of daily life for weeks to come. Weeks. But the findings uh, offer a measure of hope that the emergency measures that have disrupted life in much of the nation can be effective in slowing the spread of the disease. And that was really the whole point. There is a similar thin thread of encouraging news here in California along those uh, same lines today as well. Uh, At least eight strains of the coronavirus are now making their way around the globe, um, which scientists are tracking by their genetic footprints, according to Elizabeth Weiss at uh, USA Today over the weekend. While much is unknown, hidden in the virus's unique microscopic fragments are clues to the origins of its original strain, how it behaves as it mutates and which strains are turning into conflagrations while others are dying out thanks to quarantine measures. Labs around the world, she says, are turning their sequencing machines to the task of rapidly sequencing the genomes of virus samples that are taken from people who are sick with COVID-19. The information is then uploaded uh, to a website called nextstrain.org that shows how the virus is migrating and splitting into similar but new subtypes. And while researchers caution that they're only seeing the tip of the iceberg here, the tiny differences between the virus strains suggests that shelter-in-place orders are, in fact, working 
in some areas and that no one strain of the virus is now more deadly than another. They also say that it does not appear that the strains will grow more lethal as they evolve. So that's good news. Charles Chu, a professor of medicine and infectious diseases at the University of California, San Francisco School of Medicine, said the virus mutates so slowly that the virus strains are fundamentally very similar to each other, even though they are different strains. Now, his analysis shows that California's strict shelter-in-place efforts appear to be working. Over half of the 50 COVID virus genomes that his uh, San Francisco lab has sequenced in the past two weeks are associated with travel from outside the state. Another 30 percent are associated with healthcare workers and families of people who have the virus. He notes that only 12, uh, I'm sorry, only 20 percent are coming from within the community, uh, within the community. In other words, It is not circulating widely. It's coming in from elsewhere, but the one that is sort of here is not being passed around very much. He says that is fantastic news, indicating that the virus has not been able to gain a serious foothold because of social distancing. Chu says it's like a wildfire. A few sparks might fly off the fire and land in the grass and start new fires. But if the main fire is doused and its embers stomped out, you can kill off an entire strain, he says. In California, Chu sees a lot of sparks hitting the ground, most coming from Washington, but that they are quickly being put out. The virus, he said, can be stopped. But social distancing must be continued in order to, to in order for that to happen. So we must continue to do that until there is a cure or a treatment or a vaccine, etc. And and how long will that take? Well, uh, nobody knows. Now Fauci says that it'll be a year to a year and a half for a vaccine, but various treatments are being tested all over the world right now, so we will see. So while I said it was a thin thread of good news, there is a little bit for you, and we will take them from wherever we can find them these days. Uh, So if you have any, feel free to give me a call uh, with with your own good news, 818-985-5735, and I'll try to get to you in a bit. Uh, But these stories also underscore how this is going to be happening for, I think, much longer than folks are yet appreciating. I hope I am wrong. I don't think I am. To that end, what does this mean for our elections and removing this completely incompetent, dangerous failure of a president? Well, I got some news on that right after this as well. I'm Brad Friedman. You are listening to the world-famous broadcast. Don't touch that germy dial. Five major corporations now own over 80% of all media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Your support helps us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations across the country. You can make a real difference by supporting independent media. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. Join us at bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. New York, like a scene from all the 
Back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. The numbers are still not good in New York, unfortunately. That is now the epicenter, really, for the virus in the U.S. So the only thing uh, surprising about this news is uh, how long it took to get here. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo said on Saturday he was postponing the state's April 28 presidential primary until June 23 as its uh, number of coronavirus cases climbed to over 52,000 and the deaths to 728. Well, that took long enough, Governor, to make that change to the primary. How that will affect the number of delegates that uh, uh, New York gets to the Democratic National Convention is still unknown because I believe uh, anyone, the, the rules are at the DNC, anyone who holds a primary after, I think it's June 20th, um, will only get half as many delegates to the national convention. So we will see. Uh, Cuomo said at a news conference, we have been behind this virus from day one. We are waiting to see what the virus does. You don't win on defense. You win on offense. You have to get ahead of this. Well, winning on offense might have included postponing the primary weeks ago, as more than a dozen other states have now done. Uh, Most of them moving them to June 2nd, which also seems very optimistic to me right now, even June 2nd, unless they are all they're all going to run vote by mail elections, which itself is a huge project that will require a lot of planning and a lot of changes and a lot of money. But uh, may ultimately be necessary even for this November's general election much less upcoming primaries uh, scheduled uh, not much more than a few weeks from now. Uh, I got some more election news, but let me take one call just to break things up. We usually wait to have uh, Mo on at the very end. I'm going to put Mo on, Morris, right at the very beginning, just because he always cheers me up. Morris from Long Beach, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Brad, I got to tell you a funny story. Please do. Uh, This guy's sitting in his car. And he's smoking some reefer, right? So two officers pull up next to his car, right? Yeah. And so they, their eyes meet. The two officers and the guy in the car, their eyes meet. So what do they start doing, Brad? They start waving at each other like they're friends, all right? I said, really, whatever happened to stop and fist? But it was really, you know, uh, imagine a cop knowing what you're doing. And, and he goes, hey, how you doing? And that was it. But I, I got one thing that's kind of sadistic here, Brad. It is all sadistic. right. I heard a rumor. I was listening to uh, KPMK this morning. And I heard that Donald Trump sold, uh, I don't know how many tons, of uh, ventilator materials, he uh, sold them to China in January, right? At the, when we first started this virus, is, is that true? I mean, what how what can he do? What more can he do to try to kill us all? This, aside from decimating all of our institutions, now does this mean we're going to get? Uh, uh, does this mean, Brad, that we're going to get healthcare protections now? Are they going to go back to trying to screw everybody? Well, they, I don't. I don't know that they've ever stopped trying to screw everybody. There's going to be certain protections, uh, thanks to the stimulus bill regarding uh, coronavirus testing and maybe treatment. It is not completely clear to me how much of that is actually going to be covered. Um, but as far as uh, selling or giving something away to China in January that we need now, uh, I can neither confirm nor deny that. I don't know the uh, answer to that question, uh, Morris, but uh, maybe someone else does. If so, you can feel free to give us a call, 818-985-5735. I'll get to uh, more calls here in a bit. Um, Trump, back to elections for the moment. Uh, Trump, this morning... Uh, said something out loud that Republicans are not supposed to say out loud 
While talking to Fox News about the $2.2 trillion emergency stimulus bailout bill that was passed by Congress and signed on Friday, on Monday morning, Trump told the co-hosts of Fox and Friends that House Democrats had tried to include, quote, crazy, crazy proposals. In the uh, in the relief package that passed last week, including measures aimed at easing the voting process for Americans during the coronavirus outbreak. Here's what Trump said Monday morning. I mean, they have a majority in the House and therefore you need their vote and they want to get certain things. I, I will tell you this. If you look at before and after the things they had in there were crazy. Uh, they had things, uh, levels of voting that if you ever agreed to it, you'd never have a Republican elected in this country again. Mm-hmm. Did you hear that? They had things, levels of voting, that if you ever agreed to it, you'd never have a Republican elected in this country again. Wait, what? Is he saying out loud that if everyone actually got to vote, you'd never have a Republican elected in this country again? Because, why, yes, that is what he is saying. And yes, it is pretty much true. Which, of course, is why Republicans work so hard to make it so hard to vote in hopes of keeping voters from voting. Because that's just what they do. That is what Republicans do right now. It is in their DNA. That is the central value of the Republican Party itself. And at this point, it is pretty much the only core value of the Republican Party. But you're not supposed to say that out loud, Mr. President. They had things going, levels of voting that if you agreed to it, you'd, you'd never have a Republican elected in this country again. God forbid everyone who wants to vote gets to vote. So uh, what was in that bill as proposed by Democrats that Republicans insisted be pulled back, that Trump pulled back because it would have levels of voting that you would never have Republicans elected? Well, I'll get to that in a moment. But the idea that making it harder for voters to vote is exactly what we are seeing now around this country even in a pandemic, even as states are now scrambling to reschedule and restructure their primaries. On Thursday's show, I discussed how in insanely the key battleground state of Wisconsin is actually still planning to have their primaries and local and statewide elections next Tuesday. Yes, they have not canceled. They have not postponed in Wisconsin. They're going to have an election on Tuesday, April 7, in the middle of a global pandemic. Now, you think many folks will, will want to show up at the polls that day? I guess we don't have to worry about the levels of voting. But incredibly, it's only a primary, right? Uh, but there's also a, a state Supreme Court election. There's local elections. And incredibly, by the way, the Democratic governor, Tony Evers, is supportive of that. But in no small part, because he apparently does not have the power as governor in Wisconsin to actually change the date of the election or to order an all vote by mail election. Only the legislature does, which is controlled by Republicans in both houses. Uh, they have the uh, they have to actually adopt legislation to do that, to change the date. And the Republican leaders of both chambers agree that the election should move forward on Tuesday, this Tuesday, in the middle of a pandemic. When the turnout uh, would be expected to be much higher, by the way, for Democrats in a still ongoing presidential primary than it would be for Republicans where their nominee is fully resolved as of now. So, you know, get a whole bunch of Democrats uh, sick standing in line next week. 
maybe kill a few in a state of about three million voters where Donald Trump is said to have won by only 23 votes back at 23,000 votes back in 2016. Yeah, that checks out. This is going to hurt uh, Democrats more than it will Republicans. So, sure, let's hold the election next Tuesday. So we talked about that last week a little bit uh, on one of our broadcasts. We also discussed the great battleground state of Georgia, where the Republican secretary of state, uh, where all the voters at the polls, by the way, must use unverifiable germy touchscreen voting systems. The Republican secretary of state finally looked like he was doing something right. He, he well... He announced that he was pretending to do the right thing by sending out absentee ballot applications to all active voters, not to all voters, but to those that he considers to be active voters. That can be anybody that he likes, uh, but in theory, uh, it's people, the inactive voters are the ones who haven't voted in the last two federal elections, according to the way Georgia does it. If those people, those inactive voters, uh, if they want to have a chance to vote in the upcoming election, if they want an absentee ballot to vote in the most critical election in our nation's history, they will have to request an application be sent to them and hope to get it and fill it out and hope to uh, send it back and then hope to get their absentee ballot and return it in time for the Peach State's optimistically rescheduled uh, primary election on May 19th. He couldn't just send it to all registered voters, only to active voters. Okay, Secretary Raffensperger. And only to those people that he deems active voters. Correct. Gosh, what's the criteria for that? Oh, whatever Brad Raffensperger wants to make it, basically. But, but the Republican legislature and governor in the key swing state of Ohio seem to now be writing the template for how to restructure elections for the coronavirus pandemic age in order to assure that it is as chaotic and as disenfranchising as possible. If you want to look how to not do this, look to Ohio. Legislation concerning voting procedures for the delayed Ohio presidential primary passed unanimously late last week in the Republican-controlled state Senate and House. It was signed by the Republican governor on Friday night. That's Republican Governor Mike DeWine, who had done the right thing previously in in fighting to postpone his state's primary just a a week or two ago after a state judge said that he did not have the power to do it. Well, he simply had his health director declare polling places to uh, correctly, in my opinion, be a health emergency. And he used that to postpone the original March 17 contest. But uh, as uh, the Ohio legislature is controlled by Republicans, uh, they are the ones responsible for the rescheduling. And as uh, TPM's Kate Riga noticed, the voting provisions of the bill that they passed last week dealing with coronavirus have incurred disapproval from a bevy of voting rights advocates, as well as from the Buckeye State's Republican Secretary of State, Frank LaRose. Now, Governor DeWine, who applauded the passage of the bill, initially worked with LaRose and the lieutenant governor, John Husted, who is also Republican, and he was the previous Republican secretary of state in Ohio. They all worked together to lay out a plan for the primary to be pushed back to June 2, June 2nd. In their original plan, 
postage paid uh, absentee ballot applications would be sent automatically to all registered voters in the state who had not yet voted. Voters would send the applications in and receive a ballot in a prepaid envelope to be postmarked by June 1. At the latest, that would have been the day before the rescheduled June 2nd primary. An acceptable plan, a pretty good plan. All registered voters would get an application in the mail for a uh, uh, an absentee ballot. But no, that was not good enough for the Republican legislature. The uh, bill that was passed by them is much more restrictive and potentially disastrous for thousands of Ohio voters. But it should uh, help keep the levels of voting down, much to uh, Trump's approval, no doubt. The new rules, uh, it requires the extra step of Secretary of State LaRose His office must design and mail out an informational postcard about how to obtain an absentee ballot rather than sending out the applications automatically. So voters must then print out the application themselves or they must ask their county board to send them one. And then they got to rustle up postage in order to send it back. And only then would they theoretically finally receive a ballot and then they would have to get it into the mail. And all of this will have to be done by April 27 of next month because they didn't go with the June 2 date. They went with April 28. They wanted everything to happen much more, uh, much more quickly, a month sooner. Now, Secretary LaRose estimated that the postcards alone would not get to most Ohioans until the second week of April. Uh, Mike Brickner, the Ohio director for All Voting is Local, condemned this plan. He predicted that the county's board of, of elections will be flooded with absentee ballot requests an issue that is compounded by their operating with a skeleton staff themselves right now. He added that even if LaRose gets the postcard out to voters by the first week of April, that's next week, he said that would be a best-case breakneck speed scenario unless the Postal Service, uh, which is overwhelmed, uh, unless the Postal Service and the overwhelmed elections boards and voters all act quickly and completely accurately, Many of the ballots will likely blow the deadline entirely. And guess what? Mission accomplished. Brickner, uh, the voting rights advocate, says, I think the real question is if this could happen during optimal circumstances. And we need to recognize, he said, that these are not optimal circumstances. Secretary LaRose also appeared uh, unenthusiastic about the plan. Uh, in, uh, in a statement, he said today, my friends in the legislature did the right thing by extending deadlines and postponing requirements on everything from taxes to school testing. So it's a disa- so it's disappointing that they have instead chosen to significantly reduce the time provided for Ohio to bring this primary election to a close. He said the original plan was, quote, preferable. He'd previously sent a letter to lawmakers telling them that it was not realistic to get ballots into the hands of voters and give them ample time to return them before June 2. And that was before they put in this this middle step of sending out a postcard to tell people that they can apply for a ballot rather than just sending a ballot or even sending an application for the ballot. LaRose also warned of the unconstitutionality of forcing voters to pay for their right to vote in the form of postage. Uh, 
He wrote, no date before June 2nd is logistically possible. We simply cannot put a postage paid absentee ballot request in the hands of each eligible voter and afford them reasonable time to cast a ballot any earlier. A plan, he said, that does not afford every Ohioan an opportunity to vote free of charge would be unconstitutional. So, of course... The GOP legislature in Ohio both scheduled it early, despite the Secretary of State's warning that it's not logistically possible to do so, and despite the fact that it is unconstitutional because they are not doing it free of charge. Well, that's crazy. So, of course, Governor DeWine, who worked on the Secretary of State with that plan, signed the bill anyway signed the Republicans bill that moves it up by a month and doesn't send out the DeWine told the uh, Cleveland Plain Dealer it's not what we wanted. I I felt that uh, Secretary of State Frank LaRose was absolutely correct when he said it should be early June. But then he went and signed it anyway. He could have said, I'm not going to sign this unless you make it June 2nd. He didn't. The uh, law, however, may not stand. Brickner said that it violates the National Voter Registration Act, which mandates 30 days leading up to the election for voters to register. A whole bunch of voting rights groups uh, have already fired off warnings to the secretary of state about the discrepancy with the National Voting Rights Act. So it's already illegal. But if it does stand, this law, a state which has already been whipped into turmoil this election season, could be facing further chaos. And frankly, maybe that is the whole point. Brickner said the voter has to do everything perfectly. The Board of Elections has to do everything perfectly. The mail has to be delivered perfectly for everything to work. And things do not always work perfectly. This truncated timeline is really not good for voters, he said. Well, why worry? When it comes to elections, everyone knows that Ohio, they're famous. Aren't they famous for their perfect elections they have in the Buckeye State? I know you're being sarcastic with this because they are not famous. They are famous for messing it up constantly, every single time. This is a template for how to not, how to not deal with the coronavirus pandemic when it comes to elections. But, you know, we could see stuff like this in every state between now and November of this year, including in Democratic states, by the way, where there's a rush to send ballots, actual vote by mail ballots to everybody, to every registered voter, whether they have requested one or not. That plan, by the way, is also fraught with many perils, despite uh, the interest by Democrats in seeing uh, exactly that. A lot of Democrats just say, well, let's just send ballots to everyone. Be very careful of plans like that. Yes, I know that states like Oregon and Washington and Colorado do that now, and I believe Utah and Hawaii are are beginning to do that now as well. But they have spent years planning to do that, working on doing that, refining their systems. They're not just saying, hey, let's send a ballot out to everyone. That is a recipe for disaster, a disaster that we're going to have to talk about on another day. Uh, But in short... Uh, Because I do want to get to your calls at 818-985-KPFK, 818-985-5735. What was it that Democrats wanted in the stimulus bill that led Donald Trump to say on Monday morning that they had levels of voting in there that if you agreed, you'd never have a Republican elected in this country again? Well, what they wanted essentially was uh, $4 billion. 
But the uh, $2.2 trillion stimulus and corporate uh, giveaway bill, uh, it includes just $400 million of elections assistance for states. Democrats wanted $4 billion. They had to settle on $400 million, not even close, uh, even though this was a massive bill the size of, of about half of the entire annual federal budget. So not only is there only $400 million in there, the bill does not include any of the mandates that the Democrats had hoped to impose on states as a condition of receiving the money, including requiring them to make mail-in voting available to everyone. And if an election is held during a national emergency to send a mail-in ballot to every registered voter. But Republicans balked, saying that elections should be administered by the state and local governments, even though the Constitution allows Congress to set the date and the manner of federal elections. A GOP summary of the bill before it was passed that was circulated said that the Senate Democrats were seeking to, quote, override state control of elections and create a federal mandate for early and mail-in voting. Oh, God forbid, we can't have that. You'd see levels of voting like you've never seen before that will make it impossible for Republicans to win. Uh, but that's not what they got. They got uh, $400 million with no restrictions on nothing. Those uh, that money, that 400 million uh, can be used for anything, it appears. Uh, the, the it'll be distributed through the Federal Elections Assistance Commission, the EAC, but with no strings attached other than uh, states will be required to report back to the EAC on how they plan to spend the money. Uh, so all you got to do is tell them what you're going to do with it. Uh, how they plan to spend the money to, quote, prevent, prepare for and respond to coronavirus. But that means that, hey, if they decide they need it, uh, you know, to use that money to buy more unverifiable voting systems or spend it to uh, enforce photo ID restrictions at the polls in some way due to this emergency, they are welcome to do it. If they want to spend it on a coffee maker, they can do that, too. Well, you have to have hot coffee if you're going to ask people to... <laughs> Work during a, a pandemic, of course. So no security requirements, however, whatsoever. Once again, as Mitch McConnell, as he has done over and over and over again over the past four years since 2016, he has prevented any new requirements to make American elections more secure, more overseeable, safer. For example, like requiring a hand-marked paper ballot for every voter in the country. He just hasn't done it, won't do it, ain't going to do it, even in the middle of a, 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 of a pandemic. Alex Halderman, an election security expert and computer science professor at University of Michigan and, and a guest on this program over the years, um, told Joseph Marks at Cybersecurity 202 that this was the last chance for coordinated federal action to help secure the 2020 election. And unfortunately, Congress has once again blown its chance. He said, it's not surprising, but it ought to be scandalous, he says, that we've gone four years without Congress passing election security legislation. The outcome, Marks writes, marks a dramatic victory for Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, who has steadfast, uh, steadfastly opposed any security mandates being imposed on states in three and a half years since Russia's unprecedented operation to undermine Hillary Clinton's candidacy and aid Donald Trump's. 
Uh, it's also a major loss for election security hawks who warn that not only Russia, but other U.S. adversaries are likely to try to undermine the 2020 election and sow doubts about its legitimacy. And if you have any question about that, I hope you will watch HBO's excellent new, brand new uh, documentary called Kill Chain, The Cyber War on America's Elections, in which uh, you may see about every guest, I think, who has ever appeared on this program all in one movie. Uh, I watched it over the weekend, and I hope to interview the filmmakers about it uh, this week, if possible. So uh, keep tuning in every day. Quick break, and we're back with your calls, 818-985-5735. Got any good news stories from your stay-at-home experience? Are you doing okay? Now's the time to touch base, 818-985-KPFK. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is The Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. That's the uh, theme song for uh, pretty much everyone in, in America who is stuck at home at this point. <laughs> yeah, just stay back. Just stay away. Don't come around here. <laughs> 818-985-5735 is our phone number. This is the Bradcast. I am Brad Friedman. Uh, looking for any good news you might have uh, over the past couple of weeks. What has it been now? Two, three weeks we have been... On stay-at-home orders, I have lost all track of time. Yeah, Desiree. I think it's been about uh, I think it's been about two weeks or so in California, and of course, it varies wherever you are around the country. So, eight one eight nine eight five five seven three five. Let's go to Mike in uh, Los Angeles. Hey, Mike, you got any good news for us coming out of uh, what you enjoying your uh, your time at home, Mike? Well, I've been getting to see a lot of old movies, including one old Spencer Tracy movie where there's an air craft emergency and the firemen that show up at the airport to deal with it are the three stooges and <laughs> really and i did not yes it's a mad 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 world oh okay kramer comedy right but i you know maybe it's stir craziness but i couldn't help but see donald and mike and jared instead of mo and larry and curly oh. because this whole business has been handled about that way. Uh, fire Chief uh, Donald doesn't want to pull the pin on the fire extinguisher until the fire is big enough to justify the cost of recharging the the extinguisher. I mean, it's loony. Yeah. It's loony tunes all the way. Yeah. It's like uh, we're in the 7th Cavalry, all of us. And, you know, Trump is General Custer. We're, he's wartime president for sure. I'm just not sure which side he's on. Oh, good point. And, of course, when you said it's Looney Tunes, it made me think, oh, great time to watch some Looney Tunes. Get some Bugs Bunny in while you're at it. It's a mad, yeah. mad, 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 mad world. Uh, good call, Mike. Thank you. Enjoy the the movies and the hidden nuggets that you are finding in those old movies. Uh, very good. A stay safe, too. 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. I know we had a bunch of folks calling last week that were sort of going uh, kind of stir-crazy already 
And we were only one week into that thing. So that's what I'm wondering how people are doing. I just want to hear how you're doing. Give me a call. Uh, Roger. Oh, good. Roger has been calling, actually, I think, Roger, uh, from Minneapolis. Roger, you've been calling for the last three weeks in a row that I've been able to open up the uh, the phones. As I recall, you told me uh, the first week it was pandemonium, if I recall correctly, up in, uh, 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 where are you exactly? Uh, Minneapolis. Uh, and that the second week was no better. Are things getting any better somehow in, in week three up there in Minneapolis, Roger? Well, um, I'll be your little ray of sunshine for half a second. Okay. It's, it's lovely weather, um, early spring, and um, the cessation of most air traffic, mm-hmm. um, along with almost all um, road traffic because of a stay-at-home directive from mm-hmm. the governor right now, is make, making the air much cleaner. Yep. Um, and also, it's much quieter, which makes it, it but it's easier to breathe, mm-hmm. and it's just lovely in that perspective. Yeah, it however, is. Well, hang on. Before you get to, before you ruin everything with your however, Roger, <laughs> hang on a second. I just wanted to, uh, I, I just wanted to concur, because uh, we've been, uh, Desi Doyen has been covering that on our Green News reports, that uh, uh, when they locked down uh, China, and then they locked down Italy, the air, like, instantly cleared up. I can certainly confirm that here in California. It is much clearer, much quieter, so noise pollution is going away as well. But over the weekend, I noticed uh, Venus was up right by the moon, and I thought that has to be a plane because it was so bright, and it wasn't even night, fully nighttime yet. It was still like dusk, and the light of Venus was so bright, I thought it had to be a plane, but it didn't move. So I was like, oh, my God, that is a planet, and it was so bright uh, even here in Los Angeles. So, yeah, if there is an upside, that's a big upside, man. We are getting rid of a lot of pollution uh, in this well, for, at least in the short term. So we'll take it. We're, get, we're getting some evidence that rapid transformation, yeah. if human activity transforms, is possible. Now, to jump over to my Debbie. Yeah, Dow, go to your however. What is it, Roger? <laughs> um, two things that I think are very important to be aware of, and I'll, I'll put them in reverse order from what I told But do you. them quickly. Go um, ahead. Um, okay, very, very quick. Six feet's not enough. When people cough or when they sing loudly, as we know from this incident in uh, uh, in this chorus where many people fell sick, um, uh, people are ejecting tiny um, uh, uh, bullets of um, sputum that mm. uh, are carrying the virus. Mm. Uh, six feet's not enough. I am not going out into the pandemonium, such as it is, at all, because it's not safe. Okay. I am hunkered down. All right. Okay, that's one thing. Guys, yeah. guys, six feet's not enough. Okay? okay. The other thing is, when it comes to the ultimate possible death toll, um, uh, based on percentages with a worst possible scenario, we could see as many as um, six or seven million people actually die from this thing. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Two million is actually based upon a one percent death toll, um, assuming about a fifty percent penetration into the mass population. And you're talking about uh, just U.S. with those numbers, Roger? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Just U.S. alone. Yeah. But yes, yeah, possibly as high as 
close to seven million. Yep. Uh, but that's not taking into account the corollary effect of inaccessible hospitals and all of the people who will perish because they got in a car wreck or whatever have you. That yeah. stuff's not even being taken into account in the what this possible scenario could game out to. So that, now that I've rained on a little yeah. parade, I yeah. go away. Thank you yeah. very much, guys. Th- th- thank you for ruining the entire show, Roger. I appreciate that. Always good to hear from I, you, my friend. I'm so happy. Stay, stay, <laughs> stay safe. Do I have time for one more? Let me get it in. Uh, Dan in Goleta. Uh, hey, Dan, welcome to the broadcast. Are you, do you want to ruin the show, too? Um, no, I'm going to give you a little perspective so everybody else can cheer up. March 19th, I went to see a surgeon about a lump I had in my groin area. March 20th, he got me in for emergency surgery to remove it. March 25th, he gave me a phone call saying I had um, melanoma. Uh, today, I went in for radiation testing. And so in the midst of all this crisis, my wife couldn't even come in the hospital door. Mm. She had to wait outside the whole time mm. while I was in there for all these operations. So anyway, keep in perspective. There are yep. things that still go on. Yep. You could die anyway. You're absolutely right. And, uh, well, I don't want to accuse you of ruining the show, cheery, Dan. Not no. cheery, but um, <laughs> think you have to imagine being in that situation. Yeah. Like sitting at home watching movies yep. and just being bored. That sounds good to me right now. I hear you, brother. Well, I'm uh, sorry to hear uh, about that diagnosis. Dan, uh, hang in there. Fight tough. Uh, stay in touch. Uh, this is hard. You're right for everyone, and it's even harder for folks like you. So thanks, Dan. I really appreciate that call, my friend. Uh, and I appreciate uh, the calls from everyone, including the ones we couldn't get to today. You can drop me an email, by the way, at bradcast at bradblog.com. That's bradcast at bradblog.com. You can also tweet me and Facebook me. I am the Brad Blog at uh, both places. Uh, what else? My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to our soundboard operator, Gary. Gary Baca. Thank you, brother. Really appreciate it. Uh, I think that's it. Des, you want to... You got a message there. Yes, I do. Hug your loved ones, and thank you so much for staying home. Indeed. That is it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I hope, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.